You know, um, everybody comes into this room and everybody comes to this day, Father's Day, with different ideas, different emotions. And part of that is because of how your fathers were to you. Maybe, um, maybe it was a fantastic time and you're close to your dad now and you have great, great memories, memories of him and that you continue those memories. Maybe some of you have lost your father early and did not have a chance to really know him. Um, there could be stepdads in here who have taken on a blended family and encountering some new, uh, the new idea of, of two different families coming together and the struggles and the joys in that. Maybe you have a father um, that didn't recognize you at the end of his life because of some dementia. Whatever the case is, we come to this day, and I, and I want to just be an encouragement to you. As I talk to, to be dads, single, single uh, men who have not been married yet, but I just want this to be encouragement. But, but most of all, I want this to be an encouragement to all of us. Because when you open up God's word, it applies to all of us. Do you agree? Yeah. It applies to all of us. And we should be excited that we're opening something up, opening up something living and active that can penetrate our hearts. So in Psalm 139, I just want to just encourage you this morning. Fathers, I want to encourage you. Psalm 139, turn there with me. You will notice that on the screen behind me, it'll have three of my points, and in between you won't find uh, the, the, the other points, uh, the sub-points. That's okay, because I wanted you to listen. And you can fill in, really catch what I'm saying this morning, Okay. Are you with me? Psalm 139, you're there. Are you there? Okay. Here's the first encouragement. We have a father who engages us. We have a father who engages us. When we get to Psalm 139, we're going to look how David has written this psalm. And he's made it so incredible to us that we have a divine God, a father to us, who, who in his own words, has connected with us. He's engaged us. Listen to this quote. What we think about God the Father and our relationship to him determines what we think about everything else that makes up our busy world. Other people, the universe, God's word, God's will, sin, faith, and obedience, parenting, marriage. In other words, theology, the right knowledge of who God the Father is, is essential to a fulfilled life in this world. My friends, David Penn's here something, a perspective that we need to have. That we have to have this view of God the Father for us to look at this world, to look at everything that comes our way, every situation, every circumstance that comes our way through the lens of God. And he's done that beautifully here in this passage. We have a Father who engages us. That's what he's talking about. Look at verses 1 through 4, and we'll look at how the Father knows you personally. It says, O Lord, you have searched me. And you know me. You have searched me. That word literally means to scout out, to examine with pain and care. God has searched you out painfully. Like, I, I, I want to look. I want to I just look into your lives. He knows you that personally. He, seek, he seeks you out and knows me. It's better rendered and has known me. 
So in other words, God didn't begin to know you when you were just born. He's known you before time. That's something that's hard for us to fathom because when we say the word eternity, we, we don't know that. That's, it's, 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 we could say it as humans, but we don't fathom eternity. We have things that are always breaking down on warranty, right? But God has known you before time. He searched and he's known you. Look at verse 2. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern, meaning he scrutinizes my going and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. The Father knows you personally. If anybody knows me, Andy, personally, it's my family. They know everything about me. But God knows me so much deeper than my family does. See, if you ask my girls right now, and my family, and my wife, and I ask them, what is the one food, what is the one dressing that I can't despise? And they would say mayonnaise. Because that's my kryptonite. I look at it, and it makes me sick. Miracle Whip is a miracle that they even put it together. Uh, that is something, they know that about me. They know me so well that at a restaurant, I have a couple of girls that like mayonnaise. If they get a side of mayonnaise, they will make sure they put a menu right in front of me so, or a napkin over it so that I don't look at it. They know me so well. But there's somebody that knows me deeper. You see, they, they don't know my thoughts. They don't know what I think about at night. They don't know all the things I struggle with. But God does. He knows me personally. He searches me, and he's known me. I love that. Let's, let's look at the second way he engages us. Verses 5 through 10, the Father never leaves you. It says this, you hem me in, behind and before. He's using a sewing term. He encloses or confines. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And look at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, meaning the lowest part of the grave, the realm of the dead, if you will, you are there. If I rise on the wing of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. My Father never leaves you, no matter what you feel. You hearing that? Because sometimes, even as a pastor, I'm like, God, you seem so distant. You seem so far away in the situation I'm in. And I'm letting you know right now, David is letting you know, he's right there. He's never left you. It's incredible. I love that too. You can't hide from him. You can't hide. You know, we talk about uh, people who run away from the relationship with God. You know what? You've run away from your relationship with God, but God is right there. He hasn't given up on you. My friends, we live in an epidemic here, not only a third world country of a bunch of orphans, but we have a bunch of orphans here in the United States where fathers are leaving. They're not here. They're not a part of their kids' lives. Being on a Gopi tour when I had a chance to do it for five years and we'd go to these juvenile halls and it breaks my heart talking to some of these security guards when we talk about, when I asked them, how many visitors do these, these kids get? He says, oh, they, they get visitors. And I said, how many of their dads come and visit them? He said, it's a rarity. 
It's a rarity. My friends, I don't know how your father was. I don't know who he was. But I know this. That David paints an incredible picture of a father that never leaves you. And I don't know about you. I've blown it before God. Have you? And he's never left me. Let's look at the third way he engages us. Look at verses 13 through 16. The father created you and wrote your story. Verse 13, for you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully. That, that word literally means to be made with reverence and wonderfully, constructed well. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. If you have your own Bibles, I, I would love for you just to write in there that right at that passage talking about I was made in a secret place that when in the very intimacy of, of your procreation, God was there. But he talks about the, he wrote your story. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body and all the way, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. If you, if you circle or, uh, ordained, it literally means cutting or framing out. Now read that verse again with that, that understanding that all your days were cut out. They were framed for you by a loving God. He's already done it. He's written a book on you. I would love if that, to see that imagery of going to heaven and seeing this book on Andy and, and, and start looking through it and understanding that nine, uh, chapters 9, 10, 11 haven't happened yet. I don't know what's going to happen, but he's already written it for me. He's already told me. He's already constructed it. And my friends, all I can say is this. When I read this passage, I understand that that is put together by a loving father. And although I might go through different circumstances that really take me down, or circumstances or situations that, how am I going to get out of this? That God has framed that in my life for his purpose. And I may never find out why. But I have to understand that he's done this in a loving way. And he's right there. Do you agree? Yes. He's wrote your story. He's written your story. Look at the fourth way he engages. Look at verses 17 through 18. The father thinks about you. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. He has that much confidence. My friends, do you remember the biggest act of engagement the Father has ever done for us? It's found in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the biggest engagement that the Father's ever done. I'm going to send my son for you. You're not a number, everyone. Go to college. You're a number. You're not a number to God. I died for Andy Garcia, who doesn't like mayonnaise. I've died for him. I died for so-and-so. He knows you by name. 
He thinks about you. Why do I share this? And you're going to hear this a couple times. Why do I share this with you that God, we have a God that engages us? Because number the first thing, and I want you to understand this is interwoven through the message is this. Because you didn't have a choice in the Father God selected for you. You didn't have a choice in that. But you do have a choice in the Father that you're becoming. You know why? Because Jesus isn't done with you yet. You see, you can't just become, I'm going to become, I got father of the year, I'm done now. It doesn't work that way. You're always becoming. If Jesus is going to transform your heart, if Jesus is going to work in your life, you're always becoming, no matter what role you're in. You could be an empty nester. You could have little ones at home. You can have one at college. Whatever the case is, whatever role God, that God has placed you in right now today, you are becoming. Because you're living for Christ. You want him to transform you. So the question is this morning, are you embracing your children as God, excuse me, are you engaging your children the way the Father's engaged you? Are you engaging your children? Are you talking with them? Are, are, you, are, you, are you, at least even if they're away from you, are you phoning them? And some of you might have broken relationships with, with your father and I don't talk to him. Or I, whatever the case is, then are you praying for them? We have a father who engages us. Let me give you the second encouragement. We have a father who embraces us. We have a father who embraces us. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. You're so quiet. Are you with me? Okay, I just want to make sure. I know you're thinking about the buffet lines after. I'm going to try to get you out of here. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 40. The second encouragement is we have a father who embraces us. Stick with me on this. God has given Israel a mouthpiece. His name is Isaiah. And he wants to get a message to a nation that's in captivity and servitude. A nation that is depressed because they're away from God. And God is saying to, to Isaiah, look, I need you to go and comfort my people. I need you to encourage them. I know where they're at. And I want, you to, I want you to encourage them in the future, and I want you to encourage them in the present. In the first couple verses in chapter 40, he's giving this encouragement. I want you to bring comfort to my people. People, Talk tenderly to them. In verse 3, he's talking about a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. This is the future. Jesus is coming. I'm going to let you know there's a hope there. And look at verse 5, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, meaning that's Jesus and all mankind together, not just the Jews, the Gentiles, all mankind together will see it, for the, uh, see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So here's some good news. Isaiah, I want you to give this to the nation of Israel. There's going to be somebody coming on this earth. His name is Jesus. It's the Messiah. He's going to save you. There's a future hope here. But then he gives some present hope. He gives a present hope, and I want to start at verse 11 because I want you to see this. Hang with me. He tends his flock, excuse me, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Talking of God, how big, is, big he is, the enormity of him. Or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens. And who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales? 
You see, he talks about his vast strength of actually, he's the only one that can take all the mountains and put it on a scale. The only one. We can't do that. And holds the hills in the balance. Look at verse 13. And who has understood the mind of the Lord? You see, his wisdom is unsearchable. Or instructed him as a counselor. And verse 14, who did the Lord consult to enlighten him and taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? I wrote in my Bible, can anyone suggest anything to God? God, I think you should have done this a little better over here. Uh, You can't do that. He's known everything. Nobody has instructed him because he's God. And look what it says in verse 15. Surely the nations, every nation, are like a drop in the bucket. There's no leader strong enough. They are regarded as dust on scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. And look at verse 17. Before all the nations, before him, all the nations are as nothing. They're regarded by him as worthless That word worthless is the same word used in Genesis 1-2. It means chaos. It means formless. He's literally saying, hey, they're formless. It's just chaotic. They're nothing to me. Look at verse 18. To whom then we compare God? What image will you compare him to? So here's this big picture of who God is. He paints an incredible picture. The enormity of God, the power, the strength that he has how big he is, how he can just mark off the heavens with his hands. But I want you to see the comforting verse that comes before the passage I just, wrote, just, just read. Look at verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Are you seeing how God embraces us? The first thing we saw is that he tends his flocks. He feeds, he protects his flocks. He cares for the weeks, weak. The second thing he says, he gathers the lambs. When we wander, when we fall, when we disperse, he gathers them all back together. That's the loving father that we have. And thirdly, he says he, he gently leads. Don't you love that? God never does it by force. He never does it by force. He wants you to decide. But I love how he does it, gently. And I got to make sure that I am gently leading my kids to know the Lord. That I'm not sitting there, oh, you have to do it. Come on. Believe this. Read this theology paper. Come on. I'm going to gently lead my kids and I'm going to lead it first by my model. I love that. He tends his flock. But did you get that part of the verse when he says he carries them close to his heart? Isn't that a great picture how God the Father embraces us? Isn't that a great picture that he holds us so close? You can almost hear the heartbeat. I love that. We have a Father who embraces us And why do I share this? Because you didn't have a choice in the Father that God designated for you. But you do have the choice in the Father that you're becoming. Are you embracing your children as God is embracing you? 
My friends, let me just share this as we move to the next encouragement. I know the different generations bring about the different ideas and whether or not your fathers were physical with you and embraced you, said I love you all the time. You know, we have different generations of that. And, and I know that my dad has come from a generation where I love you is just taken for granted. You know, I love you. You know, I'm not going to... You know what I love you. They don't really need to say it. And I know, too, that my grandfather was not an affectionate man. And maybe it's because his father and his father, whatever the case is. But I know this. My father wrote me this email yesterday in regards to this message this morning. And then one of the things that just caught me, just almost made me well up, is that he, he began to just encourage me about the message, and he said, Andy, I, I just want you to know that you're teaching me to embrace when I didn't teach you that. And my friends, all I can, all I can, I was talking to him yesterday at a party, I said, Dad, thanks for the, thanks for the email, it was really encouraging. And I said, and he said to me, he said, Andy, I know this, the more I'm in God's word, the more I read Psalm 139, the more I, I know that I need to be that way. And as God is going to change him. My friends, I don't live at home anymore, but God is changing him still. And I'm not saying that he's a bad father. That's just the way he was growing up. And guess what? We're embracing each other now. We say I love you a lot more. Because we're always becoming. You see? His role is different in my life, but it does mean a lot. We have a father who engages us. We have a father who embraces us. And let me give you the third encouragement. We have a father who empowers us. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1. Are you still there? New Testament. New Testament. And remember it this way. This, that's a good question. When you get to Galatians, remember this acronym. Uh, go eat popcorn. Go for Galatians. Eat for Ephesians, right? P for Philippians and corn for, all right, so just remember that. <laughs> now they got you all hungry. We have a father who empowers us. Look at verse 13. Are you there? Okay, here we go. And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised what? Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So he's kind of setting you up here. Did you know you have an inheritance? You want to un like underline, circle that in your Bible because he's giving you some family terms here. He's giving you the word inheritance. He's giving you the word, words God's possession because you are his children. I love that. And look at verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints... I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. And this is one of his prayers. What is he asking for? Look at verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him 
better. Underline, circle, whatever you need to do, that word spirit, because that isn't talking about the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, it means pneuma, where we get the word pneumonia. He's talking about a disposition. He's talking about a nature. He's like, you know, I'm asking God to give you this, this spirit fill, just this high spirit, if you will, this disposition to be excited that everything that you need, every resource that you have, that you need is found in Jesus. He wants them to be excited about it, but he's praying for something else too. Look what it says in verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Do you see that? He's praying that they would know the hope. They would understand the redemption story. Why did Jesus come to earth. He said, I want you to know that hope, and I'm going to pray for that, that that's in the top of your mind, that we're all ready, if you will, if somebody asks us, hey, what's the reason for your hope? I'll tell you, his name is Jesus, and he wants them to know the hope. He wants them to know the story, that God loved them so much that he sent his son. But he goes on. He says, I want you to be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which, you are called, that, that which he has called you, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. And look at verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. And look at verse 20. Which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Did you get that? That means the Holy Spirit living inside you. That power is the same power that was exerted to raise Jesus from the dead. He's, that power is living in you. Isn't that incredible? Now, look, you, I'm not going to open my heart and say, do you see the Holy Spirit? Oh, he just moved. I, I can't do that. But I understand this. I believe when God said at the beginning of Ephesians, I've sealed you. I've marked you. You have the promised Holy Spirit. Nobody can take that away from you. No one. Nobody can break the seal of the living God. Do you agree? No one. So, that power is in you. I'm going to break down these four words, okay? Because I want you to really get this in verse 19. That power, the word power, right after great, uh, literally the, the translation is dunamis. It's dynamite. That's all that you need to, to move things. He's saying, I'm going to give you that power, that dynamite living inside of you. Look at that second word, working, energia. It's a Greek word, meaning energy. He's going to give you, if you will, the, the energizing force that you need. Look at the word mighty, ishkas. It carries the idea of providing the power and ability that we need to make it day by day. Don't you need that power? When I, when I live my life in the flesh, in every part of my life, guess what? I'm going to get tired. I know that because I, I wear a physical body. But the things that come my way, I need his spirit. I need that lens, that God, so I can look at different circumstances and different situations that come my way and look at them in a godly way. And look at that last word, strength, kratos. It means translated dominion, a ruling or authority. And so we read that, when we read that verse again, it says, in the, And his incomparably great power, dunamis, dynamite, 
for us who believe, that power, that same power, dunamis, is like the working, it's like the energy force of his mighty strength, the provided ability, and having a dominion living inside of you. My friends, that is the gift that God has given you. Turn to Ephesians 3.20, would you? Just a couple pages over. Ephesians 3.20, because this verse takes on a whole new meaning. Look what it says. Now to him, meaning God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his what? Power. That is at work within us. The power of God is working in us and has always continued to work in us. We have that incomparably great power called the Holy Spirit. I wrote down these thoughts. Trek with me here. I wrote this after just studying this, this part of the scripture and I said this, the Holy Spirit indwelled in us has the power to repair a broken marriage a power to handle the difficulties in parenting, a power to preserve, a power to heal, a power to mend relationships between you and your kids, a power to father and, and be a godly husband, a power to patiently wait and be quiet. We have a perfect father who has empowered us, working in us to be the men he wants us to be. My friends, I want more than anything for God to move in my heart to be the man of God I need to be to my family and to my wife and to all of you. And it's not going to be my flesh that does it. It's going to be the Holy Spirit that's going to empower me to do it. But you know what our problem is? I believe this. If I had a box up here on stage, it would really demonstrate to you that we sometimes put God in a box and we, we give boundaries to him and say, God, you don't understand. You don't know what's going on over here. You, there's no way you can fix that. You don't know who I'm dealing with over here. Oh, you don't even know my kids. And some of us just put boundaries on God and say, you know what, there's just no way, God. There's no way. Some of us actually get inside the box and say, well, God, you can... You're doing great over here, man. I know your spirit can do something here and your power. But, you know, outside here, not happening. I don't think you could do it. The same power that's in you has exerted Christ from the dead. Why do I share this with you? Because you didn't have a choice. And the Father selected for you. But you have a choice in the Father that you're becoming. We have a Father who engages us, who embraces us, and empowers us. And my friends, I hope that's an encouragement to you, no matter what role you're in. You see, because I'm not just talking to fathers, I'm talking to moms, I'm talking to individuals, I'm talking to everyone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for letting us know how much you think about us. And God, if I were to think of my kids and my family, every minute of the day, and just forget about everything else. I just know that I'm human. I, I can't think about everything. I can't think about my kids every second of the day. I can't think of my wife every second of the day. But I know this. You think of me every moment. God, you have engaged me. You've embraced me. You taught me what it means just to be 
a God that comes and, and tenderly grabs his children and carries them and, and picks them up and holds them close. God, I pray that we'd be fathers that would do that. We'd embrace our kids no matter what role we're in right now. God, too, I pray that we'd understand. Huh, enlighten us, God. Just as Paul was doing, enlighten us that we have the power of the living God inside of us. Oh, that should excite us because I can't do this life alone. I need your power. God, my body is falling apart every day because I'm getting older. But God, you've empowered me with a supernatural spirit to take on this world, to take on my role as a father, take on my role as a husband. Thank you.